politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots under siege by a tyrannical government. This is Daniel Horowitz in the house on May 1st, the first day of a new month, a new horizon. Will this be the month of Mayflower's Flowers of Freedom after the reign of tyranny in April? That is the question. Today we're going to talk a lot about why we are no longer a free people. Where this despotism comes from, this mixture of anarchy and tyranny. And also we're going to continue on some of the cutting edge scientific data, math data, observations on the virus that again show, as we demonstrated on yesterday's blockbuster show, if you haven't heard it, why a full-scale lockdown, especially this late in the game after we now know it was spreading for months, is the worst of all worlds. Is the worst of all worlds, not just when you look at life, society, economy in totality, but even if you myopically look at COVID, it's the worst thing imaginable. I'm going to start off with reviewing some of the virology stuff that we talked about yesterday. I have a 2,000-word piece out today. I'm sorry it's long. It's not you, you really aren't supposed to write long articles, but there's too much to say, and I wanted to pack it in, not just why the lockdown is the worst of all cases, but as always, we give positive-looking thinking. I take bold stances and say, here's what we should be doing, and I make the case for the stratify and shield mentality, or actually um, strategy over lockdown, that we need the data to stratify who is a higher risk and who is not. We already know 90% from corroborating evidence from so many examples of serology studies, of hard count data on the type of people dying by city, state, country, defined populations of naval ships, of prisons, of ice facilities, of meatpacking plants, which are pretty defined, and What we see consistently is that the case fatality rate for young and or healthier people is well under even 0.1, much less 1%. And how kids are almost nothing, the schools need to go back, and we're going to continue talking about that. But I want to start off today's show with a vitally important clip. We talked about it yesterday, but I want you to hear the actual audio from the clip. Very, very important. Okay? So this is on Wednesday. It wasn't yesterday. It was on Wednesday. The Minnesota Department of Health held a briefing, like most states do, on a daily basis. And it was... um, I forgot who the health director was there, but the voice you're going to hear on the audio is Kristen Urshman. She is the uh, Maryland, uh, Minnesota Department of Health's Infectious Disease Director. And she was asked the following question, or I'm sorry, she was asked a question by KSTP reporter Tom Hauser, very solid reporter there, wanted to know what exactly is the percentage of people dying that are in nursing homes that are... um, you know, chronically ill, and take a listen to this answer. 
Commissioner Malcolm, I'm not sure if I just missed it or if you didn't say it, uh, the exact number of today's deaths that were linked to long-term care facilities. And then also, am I missing it in the records or do you still not report, in addition to long-term care facilities, how many of the other deaths, which I think would be 60 or 70, had significant underlying health conditions? Um, uh, I thanks, can answer um, that. Chris, if can you, you help like. me on that? Yep. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, please. 200, 249 of the 319 cases were individuals in long term care facilities, and 99.24% of the cases who have died have underlying health conditions. Okay, and so, and of today's 18, how many of the 18 reported today were in long term care? I believe that answer was 16, was it, Chris? Yeah, I, I'm just grabbing. I've got so many data, pieces of uh, data. 16 were in long-term care out of the 18. Okay, and so including long-term care and other underlying health conditions, 99.24% are in those categories. Basically, if you look at all the deaths, um, yeah, 99-plus percent um, have underlying health conditions. Folks, so there you have it. Black and white, plain language, emphatically. 99.24% of all deaths in Minnesota were either in nursing homes or if they're not in a nursing home, they had an underlying severe illness. If you do the math based on the numbers of deaths, I forgot, I did it before the show, is like 340, 360 total deaths in Minnesota. That means there are literally three human beings that don't fit the, that, that description. Meaning three people who were not in a nursing home and didn't have underlying health concerns. This includes even elderly people. If they weren't in a nursing home, so we don't know, I don't know the nature of those three people. If they were younger or not, it doesn't matter because at some point it becomes a statistical outlier and an anomaly, and it just doesn't warrant anything we're doing. But it could very well be they're older too, which lends credence to my two thousand page, uh, two thousand word article that even older people, like you know, let's say seventy, maybe not ninety, but seventy. Now, many do have underlying conditions, tremendous amount do, but if you don't, even at 70, your, your risk is pretty low. That's what the data seems to show. But folks, I will tell you who is sitting on this data. The CDC. They have every numerator. They have all the deaths. They have analyzed this. There is no reason why they are not putting out data, breaking down age, health status, geography, maybe demographics, genetics, race, geography, and we should have a, a full picture. And I, w I would imagine if they were to put out that data, you would see this whole thing as a farce. But the problem is they don't know what to do now. So they have to hide that. Because here's the deal, folks. I want you to listen to the, ne the next clip. Reporter Tom Hauser followed up with the following question. He said, so I'll just read the question to you and then I'll play the audio of the answer from the infectious disease director, Kirsten Urshman. Quote, so when Minnesotans look at that, meaning only 99.24 you know, is, is uh, chronic health or in nursing homes. By the way, 78% are in nursing homes. Then try to assess their own risk of having the worst possible outcome from COVID, which of course would be death. 
they will look at this and say, if I'm not in one of those two categories, why is it this state shut down economically the way it is? How would you respond to them? Folks, take a listen to her answer. Remember that um, that the decision to take this time um, to, to take a pause is, is not only um, on behalf of individuals who are at risk, but it's also time for our healthcare system to stand up their response. So it's a combination of things. And so we're, it's not just about, oh, am I okay? It's about how am I, you know, doing things to benefit the community and how am I um, helping to make sure that our whole community is prepared to respond going forward. And so that, that's what we're doing. Um, we're doing it not not just because it's best for all of us individually, but because it's the right thing for the community and because it allows our health systems to be prepared going forward. Did you hear that? For the better good of the community. What does that even mean? It's gibberish. It's not, it's not an answer. Remember, the question is not that, oh, who cares about these people? They don't matter. Again, a tremendous percent of the population fits into this. Could be 20%. And then it's to varying degrees because, like, there's the serious ones like heart, cancer, um, immunodeficiencies, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's seems to be a lot of evidence behind that, um, maybe diabetes. And then there's other stuff that might be varying degrees. And then you have to have a sliding scale with age and health status. They have all this data because I have a tremendous amount of data and it all cooperates the same story. This is not to say they don't matter. This is to say that the best strategy of dealing with this is to have the younger people go out with the proper precautions. You don't want to spread too quickly. You don't have mass gatherings. But that's how you develop herd immunity. It's the only way around it. There's a CNN article out today. Experts predict up to two more years of the pandemic because it will, you know, it will take that long to get herd immunity. So here's the deal. The more you do lockdowns, the more people are going to die. This is what they don't understand. This is a plague from God. There is no option on the menu to come out with this with fewer than 100,000 or so COVID deaths. That is not an option. When you get these diseases, we saw that in 57 and 68 with the Asian and Hong Kong flus. When you get this stuff and you don't stop it early, you're going to get this until it burns out or you get a vaccine. That is the sad reality. The question is how many people you're going to kill on the way, non-COVID patients, and then how, many, how much longer are you going to make the vulnerable population exposed to this without burning it out? That is the dirty little secret here in this country. You see, again, lockdowns don't work at all when we did them. It spread for miles. There's a new serology test out of Aspen, Colorado. This doctor that did tons of testing for antibodies. Aspen, far-flung Colorado, not Denver. Some days... 11, 15% were testing for the antibodies, but she averaged it out as 9.9. Again, two people have died in that entire county, much less the city of Aspen. Two people. 
it's not exactly scientific because it's not random sampling and we don't know exactly if the people were all from the county or from different counties that came into our clinics. But again, you divide it and what do you get? 0.1%. They all seem to converge on that and like I explain in detail in my article like I did on the show, it's a very lopsided 0.1%. Because for, for young and healthy people to varying degrees, it could be one-tenth to one-hundredth of 0.1, whereas you get you know, to 70, 80, even in the 60s to a certain extent, and then you certainly get with the health problems, then you could be talking about already you know, several percentage points at the worst upper, upper bounds of it. And in nursing homes, it could be 10%. Those people are going to die anyway with the lockdowns. And that, that's the joke. They're dying anyway. Numerous studies, and I, I'm going to get into more of this next week in my articles on the show, are showing it didn't help. It didn't help anywhere. Because it long spread. The only countries where it helped were at least you had temporary benefits. It's going to be a net liability when you add up the long-term COVID deaths from the second and third waves and all the deaths from the cancer patients and heart patients and every other patient and the mental illness and the um, financial ruin and the social isolation. I mean, the suicides are, there's, there's tons of data on that when you have a depression. But even on the COVID thing, you're not going to succeed. So in Germany, Iceland, and um, what do you call it? Australia and Israel. Yes, they acted early. So they had a good temporary result. But again, I would argue the operative ingredient is more the acting early, not the severity of the lockdown. Had they done basic shut off of travel, large gatherings, the stuff we did in the first week, that would have sufficed. But even those countries, well, what, what happens? They're all dealing with this. They have to get out of it because they shut down their food chain and their health care chain, ironically. And they're killing, every, they're killing more people. That, everyone agree. I mean, however many months you could do that, it cannot go on for 18. So you're going to have to come out. Now what do you do? Now you have more people coming out that have compromised immune systems because they're... Locked up in like a bubble baby. Even the healthy are more sick now. Now you have a weakened healthcare system with 50% furloughed workers to deal with people getting sick from other viruses now and the backlog of cancer, heart, stroke, orthopedic surgeries, biopsies, diagnostics. And again, economy is lives. It's not just your 401k. Oh, Daniel, you want your wealthy 401k. That's all you care about. This has nothing to do with that. It's lives. A weakened, impoverished, disrupted country can't treat healthcare. The only time a lockdown is needed to slow the temporary, but yet inevitable, no matter what spread, is like the Israeli researchers out of Hebrew University showed, if you literally just don't have the beds. 
But they, they noted Israel came nowhere close to having that problem, much less America, where we have many more resources than they do there. And this is what's happening in Sweden. To Sweden, the, the point is not that Sweden, oh, their results aren't as good as some of the Nordic countries. Their results are better than France, UK, Netherlands, and certainly Spain and Italy. Because we were told, because they, they ripped the Band-Aid off. They got the pain. But they're going to achieve herd immunity. And they're coming out with their healthcare system intact, their economy intact, and none of the other deaths that nobody is modeling in. Like the lockdown proponents, according to them, this should have been a smoldering ash, worse than Spain, based on their thing. Now, yes, it's going to be quicker. The peak's going to be quicker. But now, let's get to Norway and Denmark and Finland. Well, what are they going to do when they come out? Because they're all going to have to come out. Now they have much less herd immunity than Sweden. Come back to me in a year from now. Who has more COVID deaths? Norway or Sweden? Much less if you would model in God knows how many other collateral damage deaths from the lockdown. See, it's like looking at a football team in the first possession of the game and saying, oh, you're behind, you're losing. Dude, this ship ain't over. The very elites that are pushing the lockdown, they're all saying this is going to go on for two years. And part of it is because of what they're doing. They're forestalling it. It's a sad reality. You're going to have people die. But we used to have a society that understood this. In World War II, doing nothing was not an option. Germany and Japan qualitatively had better militaries than us at the beginning. We had to ramp up. We had to fight them. The media back then had morals and values. They actually covered up some of our fatalities in the battles. Because it had to be done. It wasn't pretty. But it's either you have those or you have more deaths than that. And you restore your freedom in the process. Getting freedom and having no deaths was not an option on the menu. But today we could never have Iwo Jima and Okinawa. Because the media would demagogue it. This is being driven. We have epidemiology being driven, not by science. It's being driven 100% by media, virtue signaling, and demagoguery. Any governor, if you dig, dig deep, they might have not known this a few weeks ago, but now the data is so clear. It's so clear. They know they need to open the schools as, as a minimum and open other things from, for healthy and younger people to go out and work. They know that. But th- what they also know is that a few people here and there are, are going to die no matter what we do. But it's always going to be traced back to them, even though you're going to have it under lockdown and you're going to have worse deaths. But you're able to say, oh, we're locked down. It's intuitive. Well, you know, it's shut down, so we don't have to worry. It would be worse if we didn't have it. it see, that, that's the beauty of what the other side's doing. So if you're a governor, you're terrified of the demagoguery. But it's truly disgusting. And again, this Minnesota data is corroborated everywhere. It's corroborated everywhere. All over. Okay? Minnesota, let's just say, is a little bit more extreme. That there's literally no deaths 
outside nursing homes and chronic illness, even for elderly, it seems. Some places, it's a little bit more for elderly non-chronic, a little bit more for young chronic, but they're still statistically extremely low. More than half of deaths in Massachusetts, Maryland, and Maine are in nursing homes, and the median age of death is 82. 70, the number of the percentage of nursing home deaths in terms of the composition of the entire COVID deaths, 75% in Rhode Island, 61% in Pennsylvania, 58% in Delaware, 57% in Oregon, 56% in Colorado. I spent a lot of time the last couple of days researching this. Even in Connecticut, which is closer to the New York more widespread outbreak where it's affecting more people, nursing homes still accounted for almost half. And those over 70 accounted for 80% of the deaths. Again, I have all the data, microdata, but this is the deal. This is the only way out of it. We're seeing this again and again and again. And folks, there's a new study out. In, in, the, in the UK, 60,000 cancer patients could die because of lack of treatment or diagnosis. Oncologists say, the UK is one-fifth of America's population. You extrapolate for America, that's 300,000 cancer patients. Now repeat the same idea for diabetes, for heart, stroke, um, I mean, orthopedic stuff. God knows what other things that are routine, routinely treated and people wind up living from. Another study, displaced middle-aged workers could experience a 1 to 1.5 year decline in life expectancy. That's starting to factor in the economic impact. And again, it's not like you're saving lives after all this. Oh, whoops. Now we have another two years to go. Uh, whoops. We didn't achieve herd immunity. Whoops, we don't have a vaccine. Whoops, what do we do? That's the big lie here. It's not even like it's not worth the lives gained. You're not saving any lives even, even in, in a myopic focus, much less on a net. You might slow the rate of certain deaths, but then you're going to accelerate it even more on the back end. That's what a curve is, bending, literally like a rubber band. The only need was, and look, we all agree, you know, we did a good job. We surged resources. We were scared. We misread what happened in Italy and why it happened. And we went crazy. We had field hospitals. We, we had naval ships. They weren't used. They weren't needed. Even in New York, they weren't needed. They never were overrun. They got full. They were never overrun. And elsewhere, they were empty because COVID, there weren't that many deaths per capita. And and they canceled other treatments and then the panic porn sewed into society, imbued in society by the media and politicians kept other very, not just even elective surgeries, but emergent emergencies, emergent patients out of the ER. And God knows how many people died and we, we had a good case study from Oregon yesterday. And no one even knows how many people will die from all the prisoners being released and the crimes they're going to commit. But that's the dirty little secret here. That's what we're seeing here. 
there are no benefits even in the short term to doing a lockdown when we did the lockdown. Okay? Because we did it late. We did it late. You can only even achieve even the short-term benefits and then achieve nothing in the long-term and then have all the collateral damage if you did it early. That's the thing. I, there's an article. I tweeted it out. I put it out on Twitter, and I can't remember offhand. I don't have it in front of me. But in Italy, they now have it confirmed that they were treating this in the early weeks of January. And I bet the more they research, they might even find December. Oh, Daniel, that's Italy. Well, let me tell you something. Italy has a lot of Chinese workers in, in Lombardy, Milan. But guess what? We have even more Chinese travel, much more. We have the most in the world. So it was clearly here for much longer. Clearly here. And by the way, just so you know, the serology tests, often it takes four weeks to develop the antibodies in the blood. So the, the, the denominator is only going to grow. It's backlogged from the surge in March. If you would wait another few weeks and do serology tests, you're going to find God knows how many million, tens of millions of people in the country had it, thereby driving down the macro fatality rate even lower. And again, it's lopsided. Protect and isolate those who need it and the other people need to go out. Let me give you another important data point. Several, several data points. But let me give you another important one here. You see, ICE, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute with the evil courts ruling to release dangerous illegal aliens into our communities. But let's ignore immigration policy for a minute and focus on this from a virology scientific standpoint to understand the virus. ICE facilities are a good case study. What, what, what you're seeing is that on ships and in, in jails, which ICE facilities kind of are, it's going to spread very rapidly, right, and very quickly. And indeed, that's really the argument of the ACLU that you need to release them. They're all going to die. Except the problem is they're right. They're so right in their thesis that they're wrong. That ship has sailed. That horse left the barn. It has long spread, and almost everyone has gotten it there. Oh, wait, so why isn't everyone dying? Oh, because the fatality rate is so damn low. I just spoke with my friend in ICE. They've only done 1,000 tests. 453 have proven positive. Not a single illegal alien has died yet. Not one. Not one. Two guards died in one facility. It's not 100% clear it's from this. They might have been older. Not one fatality. But folks, it's not zero. We have the numerator. Not one illegal alien has died of COVID. Believe me, I could swear to you, if, 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 if one did, you would know about it. Oh my, they'll, they'll they, I mean, every single death in a facility, even of natural death, they, it's, it's headline news. Before COVID, the whole just, you know, the whole border crisis. So you'll know about it. So we could say not a single person has died out of a universe of roughly 55,000 people. Now, how many of the 55,000 got it? We don't know the answer yet, but what we do know is that in some facilities, 60% of those they are testing are testing positive. Because again, it does spread very quickly in a confined area. We know that. Folks, 
t take out your calculators. 55,000. Okay? 55,000. Let's just say 10% got it, which likely it's, it's, it's 20, 30, 40. Say 10%. That's 5,500 cases. Not a single death so far. Maybe you'll have one or, one or two or three in the end. Still early. Although I haven't really heard much about a lot of them being sick or at least like hospitalized ICUs. You would have heard about that. There might be one or two. I don't know. That's a huge data point. No one's, everyone's focusing on the immigration aspect. And I'm going to talk about that, which again is the reason why you don't release them because it's the opposite. It is long. This is the whole thing. Everyone's like, this is scary. It's going to kill everyone and it's about to come. So you lock down so you don't get it. Well, what if I tell you it's been here for months? 50 million people got it. But therefore, the fatality rate, as sad as it is for the people that do die, it's, it's very low, and it's almost exclusively concentrated into certain known populations. So let's surge our resources to protect them and have others go out. And yes, you know, you don't go to their homes, you make deliveries for them, you drop it off on their porch. But that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. We saw the same thing in a meatpacking plant. Now, a meatpacking plant is not quite confined because they do go home and sleep somewhere, but they're there long hours and they're in a very closely confined area, so it's pretty close to getting a full denominator, a full universe of how many people got it, and thereby having an accurate infection fatality rate. Meatpacking plant, 858 Tested positive, two died, two died. But those two were both in their 60s, and we don't have information if they had underlying conditions. Could very well be they did. Again, younger populations barely get it. ICE, most illegal aliens, there are some older ones, but most illegal aliens are on the younger side. They have kids in, with them, and they're in their 20s and 30s. They're young, which is why the fatality rate is almost zero. It's much less than 0.1. Okay? It's not, it's not um, one in a thousand. It's probably, you know, one in 10,000. One in 5,000 in some cases. And again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to range. How, how old you are and, and your health status is going to range. But that is the dirty little secret of this entire thing. That is the dirty little secret. And remember... There's multiple ethnicities, but they're mainly, the overwhelming majority are Hispanic. We already know from New York data, Hispanics have almost a twice the death rate of whites in New York City. And I think elsewhere we're seeing a similar pattern. So they're younger, but they're also an elevated. And remember, these people are, are really, a lot of them are coming from, you know, they have underlying conditions. They're coming from countries that have no sanitation, you know, you would think just built up years of life, you got to believe that the average Guatemalan is going to be less healthy than the average American in terms of um, their, their health status. And still in a younger population, that's how, how much it is. A lot of states don't have a single death under, certainly for kids, but even under 30 or 40. Some have smattering very statistically insignificant numbers. If you're worried about that, then there are so many other things that kill people that you're much more likely to die of. You, you cannot do this. And you're not going to help the vulnerable population. 
the only way to shield them is to stratify and have the data and come out. But I want to, folks, I want to talk to you about freedom because we have a perfect perversion where fundamental rights are being flipped upside down, inside out. What is a right is destroyed. What's antithetical to a right is codified as the most enshrined right in the, in the phony constitution. What courts should get involved with as judicial power, they don't. What is antithetical to judicial power, they get involved with. The executive branch where they are so strong to crush us, suddenly they're weak in dealing with illegal aliens and dealing with the courts. The states that have so much power to crush us suddenly get crushed by federal judges when it comes to foreign national phony rights and voter fraud. Let's unpack some cases going on here. Strangers in our own land. Many of you saw a couple days ago the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals which included a George W. Bush judge, ruled that Kansas cannot enforce their law passed in 2011 with supermajorities in the legislature to ask for proof of voter qualification of citizenship in order to register to vote. So only a citizen could vote. It's as foundational as the Declaration of Independence, governance by the consent of the governed. Only the members of the community get to vote. It's natural law. And you need the most basic safeguard to protect that natural right. See, these people suing against are like, oh, you're burdening a a right. Actually, it's not a right. It's a positive privilege, a very important one. We've talked about that a lot. But, you know, you could theoretically live without voting. (laughs) Heck, it doesn't help much. But you can't live without free movement, free of restraint, and the ability to earn a living with your person and property. That's being clamped down on now. That a state could do no problem. No problem. Michigan judge is like, screw you guys. Travel ban, you can't go to your friend's house. You can't open open your, your, your property. Hey, no, that, that's fine. Nothing to see here. No lawsuit. But a bunch of people sue against having to show proof of citizenship. I mean, you have to show eligibility for so many public and private benefits. Anything. No. It doesn't justify, the state interest quote doesn't justify the burden imposed on the right to vote. So there you go. Folks, I want you to wrap your brain around that for a minute. Okay? So there's no greater interest to a state than protecting the vote by ensuring that non-citizens don't vote. And as I always note, this is a prima facie problem because we have record numbers of immigrants in this country. Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with that policy or not, the reality is we have a record number of immigrants. We also give driver's licenses, often to even illegal immigrants, but certainly legal immigrants get driver's licenses, and that's fine. But then we have motor voter that seamlessly registers everyone who signs up for a driver's license to vote. And it's basically an honor system to self-report that, no, 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 I'm not, I'm, 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 uh, I'm not a citizen. A lot of them don't even realize it, don't even mean to commit voter fraud. And they wind up doing it. And, and by the way, they're subject to deportation because it's a criminal felony. So it actually hurts them too. But a judge is saying a state which has full control over the methods, procedures, qualifications of elections. Constitution says it. 
No, you don't have that power. A federal judge could just screw with you. And remember, we're not talking about taking away a right to vote. We're actually protecting it. We're talking about simply just you show proof of citizenship, show your birth certificate. Think about it. If you're a citizen, you obviously have a birth certificate. It's even more than photo ID. Let's say 99% have photo ID. And even the ones who don't, the state provides it for you, obviously, to vote. But if you're a citizen, you have you have a certificate, okay? But yet, somehow you can get standing in court to sue against that. Yet, we saw this video from Wisconsin, all of you, I think, saw, where these cops showed up at a woman's house and said, I saw you having your kid play in someone else's house. An unalienable negative right? Nothing. No. Nothing. A state can't simply pl- place basic el- eligibility verification standards on voting or work requirements for Medicaid. All positive pr- privileges to some degree, by the way. Not negative, unalienable rights. Yet a state can restrict your movement entirely and shut down your way of life entirely. Not even like regulate it. We're talking about just shut it down. A state can potentially demand that you show your papers to get approval to walk freely as an essential worker. Yet a state somehow doesn't have the power to ask for just simply proof of citizenship if you come to the state to ask to register to vote. And as I always say, this is rooted deeply in the contortion of of fundamental rights. They read out of the 14th Amendment to privileges and immunities the universal negative bare bones rights of everyone and created positive equal protection clause special privileges. They said this violated the equal protection clause. By the way, if you think about the irony here, so they're saying, they're saying that it violates the equal protection clause to simply ask everyone to show proof of citizenship. Where's the unequal treatment? The only unequal thing is if you're not a citizen, but then you're not entitled to vote. There's no, I mean, who is it unequal? Every citizen could vote. So show me your, it's not like, okay, uh, you know, you guys, you know, I'm just saying, let's say we created a law. Okay, you don't have to show proof of citizenship, but if you look kind of foreign, if you look Asian, if you look, you know, Hispanic or whatever, if you look like for some reason you're more of an immigrant, then I need to see t- to make sure you, you're a citizen. Okay, so that you could say is unequal, right? Th- th- this is not the case. So they say that violates the Equal Protection Clause. Which, by the way, the Equal Protection Clause, James F. Wilson, the guy who wrote that amendment in 1866, it establishes no new right, declares no new principle. It is not the object of this bill to establish new rights, but to protect and enforce those which belong to every citizen. Yet now they're using that very language to denude the citizens of their core citizen rights. Think about this. Talk about equal protection. States are allowing Walmart and Home Depot to remain open with 500, 700 people, but they close a small business that might have three three people in it. The same people who allow dog grooming shops to remain open say hairstylists have to remain closed. I say that because my friend uh, Congressman Chip Roy tweeted out uh, yesterday or two days ago, he actually spoke with this hairstylist who had the police come to her door. 
she thinks she was snitched on by her neighbor, who is a dog groomer, who is allowed to be open. Wrap your, your brain around that, friends. We have a country where the basic understanding of fundamental rights have been contorted 180 degrees. Negative inalienable rights, the right to remain free of government punishment for merely breathing, is crushed with impunity and without due process. While the non-existent privilege to vote without having to show basic eligibility is now a God-given right. Folks, Calvin Coolidge said on Memorial Day, 1927, at Arlington National Cemetery. He was extolling the virtues of our soldiers and talking about how they fight for freedom, but he warned that their fight is only worth anything if we preserve something to fight for at home. The Constitution. Quote, The integrity of the Union rests on the Constitution unless that great instrument is to be the supreme law of the land. We could have no union worthy of our consideration. Yet now, we don't have the Constitution as the law of the land. We have... The capricious, evil, twisted, perverted whims of random judges and politicians flipping rights on its head. You want to talk about flipping rights on its head? Let's go on to the next thing. Late last night, or or last evening, yet another federal judge ruled that ICE must release potentially up to 12,000, uh, 1,200 illegal aliens in Florida. This U.S. District Judge Marsha Cook in Miami and basically appointed herself the babysitter that ICE has to send a report to her twice a week on the status of them, who's being released. She, she said that by them leaving vulnerable populations in detention, they acted with, quote, deliberate indifference. And they engaged in what amounts to, quote, cruel and unusual punishment, unquote, against illegal aliens. Folks. And the Trump administration is just listening to them. DOJ asserted in court and the magistrate judge who under Marsha Cook originally said, and rightfully so, that the court doesn't even have jurisdiction over this issue. 8 U.S.C. 1226E. The Attorney General's discretionary judgment regarding the application of this section shall not be subject to review. No court may set aside any action or decision by the AG under the section regarding the detention or release of any alien or the grant, revocation, or denial of bond or parole. Done. There is no standing to even sue. They illegally heard the case. And DOJ asserted this. But like they always do, once the judge illegally hears the case and then illegally rules on the case, they're like, okay. So Trump is such a strong man. Yes, we need to do lockdown. Dumps on Governor Brian Kemp from Georgia for not doing it. Dumps on Sweden for not doing it. Crush American rights. No due process. No judge judges babysitting those edicts. But suddenly, when it comes to this, oh, judges are God. Daniel, Daniel, what do you want what do you want him to do? The judge said. Folks, you 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 want to know what I, what I, what he should do? Let me introduce you to the Chicago mayor. A state not federal but state judge did rule there that to continue the full lockdown of Illinois after uh after May 1st is it, just wrong. It violates constitutional rights. Can't be justified under any 
measure, any balancing test. The, the Chicago mayor said, screw you, I'm enforcing uh, the lockdown anyway. So notice how when you have a valid individualized ruling pertaining to constitutional rights of Americans, Democrats have no problem saying screw you to a judge. But when a judge illegally adjudicates a case where statute explicitly strips their authority, governing illegal aliens that have no right to be here, and saying they must be released into our communities, suddenly the executives are power, powerless. As I noted before, there's a middle option between keeping them in ICE detention and releasing them, and that's repatriating them to their own country. People forget it's not cruel and unusual punishment. We are not holding them. We didn't ask them to come. They broke into our country. The reason why they are in facilities for the most part is because they are the ones trying to adjudicate their way into the country. So statute mandates, okay, if you want a process, a 240 INA process, then you're subject to detention. They could go, oh, I'm going to sue. You can't detain me this coronavirus. You are free to go. Go back home. That's the thing. Nobody's holding them. It's a circus. It's a lie. If you're going to suspend the 240 process of detention, then you have to suspend it for repatriation. Then you got to go home. That's the reality. And folks, there's another thing here. First of all, Clarence Thomas has a theory that a president has inherent authority to deport anyone. And certainly at this time of national concern, because you're going to put them in the community and you know have uh, not 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 just the criminality but spread the disease but he has inherent authority even for legal criminal aliens but certainly for illegal immigrants the courts have said as you well know i say this like a broken clock for 130 years and leng may ma v barber 1958 already as far back in the 1950s the supreme court had already said quote for over a half a century this court has held that the detention of an alien in custody pending determination of his admissibility does not legally constitute an entry though the alien is physically within the United States. It's as, it's, it's as if he's outside our boundaries, period. So if he's outside, then he's subject to deportation, to the president's deportation powers. And certainly now that he has ordered under the, what is it, USC 40, Title 40-something, 40 where, you know, to, to, to stop the spread. And that's the thing, because here's the big lie, and this ties back into the virology, Yes, the ACLU is right. This spreads far and wide in ICE facilities and prisons. Guess what? It already has spread. They all have it. And, and few have died in prison. And so far, not a single illegal alien has died. Which is very, very telling from a virology standpoint, as we noted before. But then you're taking them that already had it, already became immune. And then you're bringing them out into the broader community which is, has a lower infection rate. It makes no sense from any standpoint. It makes no sense. But we are strangers in our country. Let me give you one other upside-down world. Another federal judge has just ruled that Trump cannot cut off funding to sanctuary cities. So now states... So on the one hand, states, shut up. They're, they're strong. They could do whatever they want. They could lock down constitutional rights and the federal government can't get involved. As if the 14th Amendment was never passed. Oh, but uh, 
could you give me some federal funding? I, I have an entitlement. There's, there's now, see, you and I have no constitutional right to life, liberty, property, self-defense. Restri- you know, free movement. No, no, no. But a state government has an unalienable right to federal funding. This is utterly retarded. We need to rise up. There's a lot more information. I barely got to anything today. But I just want to close up by going back to the virus, the scientific epidemiology aspect of this. A terrific, terrific study among many has come out analyzing every European country and what they did. I'm just going to read to you the abstract of the report. Comparing the trajectory of the epidemic before and after the lockdown, we find no evidence of any discontinuity in the growth rate, doubling time, and reproduction number trends. Extrapolating pre-lockdown growth rate trends, we provide estimates of the death toll in the absence of any lockdown policies and show that these strategies might not have saved any life in Western Europe. We also show that neighboring countries applying less restrictive social distancing measures as opposed to police-enforced home containment experience a very similar time evolution of the epidemic. And that is our point. The only thing a lockdown does is it short-term has less lives lost, but you're going to get them anyway, from COVID. If you do it earlier, and relative to not doing anything, that's a key point. And then, of course, you suffer in the long run from COVID, not having herd immunity, and then many, 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 many more deaths from the physical and mental health that you shut down. Not even getting into the financial ruin, the ruin of democracy, and your relationship with government. This is the most evil fraud perpetrated on humanity in the history of the world, and I could say that without any hyperbole. It is the most devastating, consequential lie we have ever suffered from. It's time to rise up. Sign up at our Facebook fan page, Hurwitz Citizen Sanctuary. Send an email. You'll be invited to our Minutemen Tavern. It's our Minutemen Speakeasy. Um, That's what it's called, where you could gather in a private page. We'll admit you into it, and, you know, it's private, so it won't go public. Let's engage in surveillance over the surveillers. Let's snitch on the snitchers. Let's document the tyranny of the tyrants. It's time to fight back. I thank God for blessing us with a terrifically productive week here. We've put out endless content, written, oral, video content, covering every aspect of the law, virology, legislation, court cases. Send this show and every show this week to every friend, relative, neighbor you have. We need to spread the truth quicker than the spread of this virus. Have a terrific weekend. God bless you all. Stay safe. And most importantly, stay free.